talking about. We've been talking about how to keep your faith, how to keep the Christian walk uh, alive, how to keep it passionate, how to keep it growing, how do you keep from getting uh, to sink down into the slumber of middle-of-the-road, middle mediocre, you know, boring Christianity. How, how do you keep the thing, how do you keep the passion burning, not just maintaining it, but growing in it? That's what we've been talking about. Several weeks ago, we talked about the need for perseverance. And the Bible presupposes that to have faith is to have perseverance. So, so get used to that idea. It, it's going to take more passion 50 years into it than it took 50 minutes into it. Uh, so so that, that's the way it's supposed to be. Last week, we talked about the need for continual surrender. Letting God take you to the next level. Don't define your relationship with God in terms of what you have been. Define your relationship with God in terms of what God knows you can be. And always expect Him to be convicting you about new things, growing you in new ways. Plug up the drainage problems in your life. Amen? If you uh, weren't here last week, you don't know what that means. Maybe you want to get a tape and check it out. But we all got drainage problems. As God keeps on growing us, we need to plug them up. This morning, what I want to talk about here for a little bit is uh, just the need for growing in our faith. The need to grow in our faith. The need for, to allow God to continually be giving us more and more uh, um, conviction that He is able to do what we are never able to do. Okay? The, 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 the need to let God move us out of our comfort zone and to begin to believe God uh, for supernatural interventions in our life. You know, it says in Mark chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, and I'll just kind of give it to you right here. I don't want to take the time to, to read it. But it says this, that Jesus came to Copernicum, his hometown, and uh, he could do no mighty works there because of their unbelief, except that he laid his hands on a few and, and healed a few people. Copernicum didn't see the, 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 the revival that the other uh, towns and cities in the area had seen when Jesus came to town because of their unbelief. In fact, the verse says that Jesus marveled, was amazed at their unbelief. God is an all-powerful God and He can do anything, right? He can do anything. But He set up the world this way so that uh, we have a role to play, an important role to play in what He does. And He works in conjunction with the faith of the people of God who believe Him to do what they can't do on their own. That's why when Jesus comes to town in Copernicum, God had the power to heal the sick, but He wouldn't do it because of their unbelief. He only works in conjunction. In other words, our faith has a lot to do with what we see God doing. Our faith, what we believe God for. As you believe it, so you receive it. You could put it like that. As, I like that, actually. It just came to me. As you believe it, so you receive it. Um, the Bible puts it this way, according to your faith, be it unto you. According to your faith, be it unto you. When you believe God to show up in supernatural ways, then you are agreeing with the kingdom of heaven and it unleashes the power of God to show up in supernatural ways. When we don't believe God to do what we can't do, then we don't ever see God do what we can't ourselves do. And that's one of the best prescriptions for, for having a stagnant faith, a sterile faith. A boring faith. When we never move out of our comfort zone and believe God for the impossible, our faith gets stagnant. Now, when you begin to believe God and step out of the comfort zone, you begin to see God move in your life. You begin to, as it were, in a good way, put God to the test and God honors His Word and He shows up and that increases your faith and you start that avalanche thing that we're talking about and faith gets exciting. Right now, there's a lot of us who are really excited. We have a passion about things because we're seeing God move. What we need to know is that this is the way it was intended to be. This is the norm in the Christian life. 
to be walking on the water, to be walking on water, to step out of the boat and say, God, I believe that you are able. That's the norm in the Christian life. What we also need to see, however, is this. We don't do this easy. Not us in the Western culture. Not us rationalistic, naturalistic people in Western culture. We are heirs of the Enlightenment of the 17th century. We are heirs of the scientific revolution of the 17th century. What's easy for us to believe is that for every natural cause, there's a natural effect. For every natural effect, there's a natural cause. What's easy for us to believe, our default button is sort of set on, on this, that the world operates in a mechanistic way, sort of like a watch. God wound it up and it just keeps on going. But He never really intervenes in life. Uh, it's easy for us to believe that God's sort of up here and we're down here and never do the two really intersect. We believe God for our salvation. We can believe God that He did something once upon a time. He died for me on the cross. That we can believe. But to believe that God can heal the sick and heal the deaf and, and heal the lame today is hard for us. We've got doctors to do that. Now, I thank God for doctors. I believe that they're as much of God as, as, as anyone can be of God. But I also believe that God sometimes wants to, many times wants to, in fact, a lot of times wants to, glorify Himself by doing what doctors can't do. Amen? By showing up in ways that just display His power and glory. What we've got to see is this. This, this uh, naturalistic worldview that we're influenced by, this Enlightenment, uh, Western rationalistic worldview that we have, hasn't been a people on the planet Earth in all of history that have believed this. It's an arbitrary belief system. Uh, only we in the last 300 years have been influenced by this kind of mindset. There's nothing true about it. I mean, it's true that there are natural causes and natural effects, but as a total belief system, it, it's utterly arbitrary and false. We've got to see it for that. We also have to see how radically unbiblical it is, because this is what we struggle against. The battle of faith is the battle in the mind to bring every thought captive to Jesus Christ. Praise God. To be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that means, if it means anything, that we're going to have to confront this naturalistic worldview that causes us to stay inside a comfort zone of naturalism and not believe God to show up in supernatural ways. What we need to see is that Christianity was meant to be, throughout all time until Jesus comes back, a supernatural religion. Amen? When Jesus showed up, He didn't give us some nice teachings, some nice philosophy, some nice ethics. That's not what He did. He did do that, but He showed the validity of it. He demonstrated the power of it by healing the sick. By, by, by giving sight to the blind people, by, by giving hearing to the deaf people, by, by uh, reaching down and raising up the lame, praise God. He demonstrated the truth of it by the power of God. That's how it was meant to be. And then he tells his disciples that you also shall do these works. In fact, in John 14, he says, greater works than these shall you do. Think about that. And so we see in the book of Acts. We see in the book of Acts, we see it in the early church of the first two centuries, the way the church grew. I mean, the, 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 the explosion uh, uh, in, in the early church, um, going from a band of 12 people in 33 A.D. to the end of the century, spreading throughout the whole Roman Empire, the way that that happened, church historians will tell you, is that the early Christians possessed a faith in God to do supernatural things, and they saw God do supernatural things. And it was the power of Christianity, the power of Jesus Christ working through His bride to deliver people from demons, to bring sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf and things like that. It was that that proves to the unbelieving world that this religion was for real. Many times you hear people talking about the miraculous growth of Islam, how Islam grew so quickly in the 6th and 7th and 8th century. Well, the way Islam grew was because they got an avalanche. It did grow real, really fast, but it grew by the sword. 
They would go to towns, they'd go to tribes, and they would say, would you want to convert to Allah, or do you want to receive the end of the sword? So they had a lot of conversions going on. Christianity never picked up the sword. We never used any might uh, in the early church. It grew by the power and the love of God, exemplified through the faith of His bride, praise God. It was a supernatural thing, and it was always meant to be a supernatural thing. You see, we in Western culture have trouble with that one. We have trouble with that one. What I see God, what I see God doing today in the Western church, I'm talking about Europe, I'm talking about America, all the Western uh, churches in, in, in third world countries, they, they haven't seen the power of God demonstrated uh, pretty much in, in biblical proportions from the start. But we haven't. But that is changing. And see, I, I believe that we're called to be a New Testament church, which is why I will continually preach that, that miracles are for today, that healings are for t- today, that seeing God do supernatural stuff is for today. I don't care if I never see any evidence of it. Uh, whether it happens or not doesn't determine whether it's true or not. You see what I'm saying? You preach the Bible, not your own experience. Uh, what I can tell you for sure this morning is that it's supposed to happen this way, and I see God beginning to raise this up in the Western church. You see it among Lutherans, you see it among Catholics, you see it even among, get this, some Baptists, praise God. You see it happen with the Assemblies of God. You see it with the Vineyard Movement, where people are, are beginning to see that we're called not just talk, to talk about the kingdom, we're, ta- we're, we're called to demonstrate the kingdom with signs and wonders, and a demonstration and explosion of the power of God in our life. That's the way it's supposed to be. Praise God. Healing is for today. Now, sometimes we're afraid to to step out on the water because what happens if we sink? What happens if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed? In fact, let's let, you know, God deals with reality. He's not just into sort of building up uh, a superficial enthusiasm. Let's deal with reality here. I'll tell you my experience. Most of the time I pray for people that don't get healed. And man, that bugs me. That really bugs me because I believe I have faith. Uh, you know, I, I don't win any awards for my faith, but I have faith and I pray, God, help my, help my unbelief. That prayer is in the Bible. It's one of the best prayers you can pray. Uh, faith isn't something you're supposed to just crank out. You know, I, I do believe, I do believe, I do, I do, I do believe. It's not the thing you do. But rather you say, Lord, I believe this much, but Lord, help my, my unbelief. Help the areas of my life where I don't believe. And install in me, Lord God, a passion and conviction that you are real and can do this. And, and I pray that prayer, and I pray for the sick, and more often than not, I, I don't see them healed. I, don't see, I pray for myself. I was laying my hands on my, my lungs before I got up here to, to pray for that. I, and I, I don't feel any different. That doesn't change the truth of the Word. It just means that it didn't happen here. And, and, and what we're afraid of sometimes is this. What, you pray for somebody and they don't get healed. Does that mean they don't have faith? It says, according to your faith, be it unto you. Well, if you pray for someone and they don't get healed, does that mean they don't have faith or that you didn't have faith? We have to blame somebody. And so there's sort of this awkward feel. It's kind of like embarrassing, like, oh, no, now what do we do? You know, um, uh, and, and, and so it's easier for us not to step out at all. It's easier for us just to say, you know what, you know, uh, God, pray some, pray some lukewarm prayer, you know, or something that, that doesn't leave us hanging in the lurch. Think about this. Here's an analogy. Several months ago, I think it was, I was speaking to a, a single person here at Willow Hills Church who was really kind of depressed because they, they, they never went out on dates. And, and they, they know they're not called to be single, and they really want to start dating people because they want to find a partner and get married. So I asked this person, well, you know, how, many, how often do you ask people out on dates? This is a man here, and I said, how often do you ask people on dates? He said, well, I did once. Uh, about four years ago, and she said, no, and I haven't recovered. Uh, and, and see, so I don't ask. Uh, anyone. And it's like, now, I know things have changed. You know, I'm 42, so I don't know how it operates these days, but, but uh, I'm speaking to him out of my 42-year-old perspective, and I said, you know, 
Uh, listen, son, if you don't ask, you don't get. Uh, you know, it's not like... I mean, maybe God's going to send someone your way and just sort of, you know, fall all over you, but, but usually the ordinary way is you have to ask people out on dates, and some of them might say yes, and then you start a relationship. That's how it kind of works. Um, well, see, here's the thing. Uh, he, I can tell him for sure this. If you, if you don't ask, uh, you will not go out on a date. But on the other hand, with regard to every, any particular person, it doesn't follow that if you do ask, you will certainly go out on a date. You might ask and still not go out on a date. But if you don't ask, you'll never go out on a date. It's kind of that way with faith. I can tell you for sure, if you don't believe, you won't receive. Now, I, I can't say that if you do believe, it's a guarantee that you're going to receive. But, but, but I know that the, 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 the sine qua non, the, the condition... Uh, for just 11, I use these Latin things. You guys think I'm speaking in tongues. But it's, uh, it's a Latin phrase. The, 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 the ultimate condition is that we need to believe. If we're ever going to see God move, we need to believe. Now, there are times where it doesn't happen. It may be because of our lack of faith. Okay, that, that's one of the variables. But it's not the only variable. You don't have to blame yourself or blame the person you're praying with when, when they don't get healed. Um, there, I believe that in one sense, it is always God's will to heal. But it's not always God's will to heal now. Paul told, uh, or God told Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. He said, uh, um, Paul prayed, you know, Lord, uh, take this thorn away. Satan's buffeting me. He didn't say God is buffeting me. Note that. Satan was buffeting him, but God said, God said you know what, Paul? I can use you more in your weakness than in your strength, so right now the, 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 the thorn's going to stay. I can promise you that eventually that thorn left Paul. If not sooner than when the kingdom of God comes, uh, that thorn's not going to be there. He will be healed, praise God. And the good news, even for those who are lame and sick and continue to be so now, is that ultimately everybody who's a believer gets healed, praise God. Healings today are simply inbreakings of the kingdom of God now. For God to display His glory and the truthfulness of the message that, 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 that we're, we're teaching. And sometimes, uh, God says, you know what, this one's going to stay because I can use it in my kingdom. Now note this. Very important. That shouldn't be the default button for the Christian. You shouldn't default to say, first Paul prayed, Father, heal me. Lord Jesus, heal me of this infirmity. And then God told him, no, this one's going to stay. The default button is to press on and believe that God is able to miraculously intervene and heal you or save your marriage or whatever. You believe God for that. God may tell you to ride on it for a little bit, but that's not where you start. First you believe. We also know this, and I can't go into it right now, but other, sometimes there's other variables in this complex world that we know very little about that hinder the progress of, of prayer uh, and, and, and the, the, the demonstration of the power of God in this world. Even Jesus one time when He prayed for a man who was blind. He prayed once and, and he, says, he says to the guy, can you see? And the guy says, well, I see sort of stumps you know, walking around. Uh, well, it wasn't a complete healing. And we're talking about the Son of God here on earth. Think about it. So Jesus says, okay, let's pray again. And he pressed on. Now, why did it take time for that healing? Why wasn't it instantaneous? I don't know. That's a complex world. We don't know a lot of stuff. I do know that Daniel one time prayed a prayer to the Lord and said, Lord, answer this prayer. And God answered the prayer, but there was interference in the spiritual realm because there are angelic beings who can screw up with stuff and they've got some say-so in what transpires. Bottom line, though, is this. We are called, not to try to figure out why sometimes people aren't healed, we are called to obey God and pray that they are healed. Amen? And don't feel, if it doesn't happen, there's no embarrassment there. Say, you know, I don't know, you don't know, uh, you know, uh, let's pray until we feel that we're supposed to just back off of this one. You see? Um, and, and, and be persistent with it over the long period of time, not like for any one time for five hours, but, but you, you commit to it uh, until you feel like God's saying back off for a little bit and, and, and let it go. Praise God. I so badly want to see here at Woodland Hills Church 
a healing ministry, and ultimately a deliverance ministry raised up. I believe that's one of the things we're called to do, praise God. And we've been praying for it and praying for it and praying for it. And we're talking about the avalanche of faith. And I, I want to just sort of uh, end here with a testimony uh, that I pray God will use to start I- increasing our faith. Uh, it, it is one of the best, it is one of the most beautiful uh, testimonies of healing that I've seen at Woodland Hills Church certainly in a long, long time. Um, Jim, what did you do with our microphone? I need the microphone. Oh, here it is. Can you turn on this one? One, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, one. Lori, would you come up here? Uh, now, I've asked Lori to share. Is this one, two, one, two? Is it? How do you do that? Pull down the sleeve? Norm, I, I will break it. Uh, I have a unique gift for breaking anything technological uh, by trying to turn on... Oh, thank you. Thank you, my man. Oh, this is good. Praise God. The, the healer of technological equipment. Uh, this is Lori. And uh, uh, I want you all to really smile at her and be nodding your head because Lori was a little nervous about getting up here, but she's got a heart of gold. Uh, and God has done something great in her life. <clears throat> and I just asked her to come up here and, uh, and share it. I'll ask you questions and... And just sort of share what, what God's been doing in your life. So tell us a little bit about your son, Eric. Okay. Okay, let's move over here so we're a little more set, so those people can see how, how nice you are. Uh, my son is 29. was in a car accident on November 28th that uh, caused him to have severe brain damage and put him in a coma, a deep coma. Um, the doctor's prognosis was that Eric probably wouldn't survive the first week. And if he did he probably would never come out of this coma. In the likelihood that he would come out of the coma, um, he, best case scenario, he would barely, barely be functional. But that we needed to prepare for the fact that the son that we knew and we loved was gone and that he was not coming back. Uh, so what kind of brain damage did he have and what level of coma was he uh, in when, he, when they brought he him in? He sustained um, what they call shearing, which is the worst brain damage that, that you can have. It's where the nerves are severed, torn from within the brain. And he was in a, uh, the deepest coma you can be in, which is a level one. He was totally unresponsive. Um, and they... Uh, we visited him uh, soon after his accident, and if you would have seen this young man, uh, you know, it, it, as he's just kind of shriveling up in that bed, it was, it, it was really hard to believe that anything could happen uh, here. Um, uh, he was in, in really bad shape. So what, what are some of the things that like, God began to do uh, during this, the last six weeks? He sent people to pray. People prayed everywhere. They came to the hospital, they prayed. You prayed. Friends prayed. Friends talked to other friends in other churches, and they prayed consistently. They prayed fervently. And they Don't did, about that warden guy. Oh, they had... The, the, well, the second night in intensive care, someone approached the family who had not known us, and he just prayed with us. He came every day, and he prayed, and he laid his hands on Eric and prayed. And his brother came, was an inmate at a federal prison in South Dakota, and he was on a three-day furlough to see his dying grandfather, and he came in, and he prayed over Eric, and he has a uh, prison ministry. How did he know about Eric? How did he find out about Eric? His brother. Okay. That that was there, and then he took Eric's needs back to the 
prison in South Dakota, and they have been praying for him. So he has a prison full of Christians uh, praying for him. This <coughs> is one of these things. Praise God. Uh, there you go, praise God. And um, during this time, you know, we weren't, we also were realistic, right? I mean, we talked about the possibility of him not being healed. We made plans for long-term care. That's not a lack of faith. That's not a lack of faith. You, you do both things. You pray intently for healing. At the same time, as long as the healing's not there, you have to make provisions. And we had to make decisions about pulling him off a respirator. They thought that he wouldn't live, but we pulled him off and he lived. Um, and, and we had to make preparations for long-term care. So you, you do both. Uh, you don't just lock yourself in the, into a la-la land. Uh, you deal with reality, but you kept on praying. And so uh, a lot of people were, were, were praying. We, we, the staff went there and prayed for him several times and, and laid hands on him and, and, and whatever. Then what began to happen this well, week? Well, finally, though, they did, when they were able to wean him off life support, they were able to do an MRI, which confirmed what they had suspected, that it was, in fact, the, the shearing injury. So they have uh, on, on record here, the MRI, that this is massive brain damage. Like the doctor said of the worst sort, right? right. Uh, and that there was virtually no hope for ever any kind of normal recovery. Absolutely. Okay, so what began to happen this last week? He began to show signs of improvement. He was making purposeful moves with his limbs. He was focusing his oh, eyes. I really wanted to hear that. <laughs> he, was, he was tracking and, again, moving Okay. Purposeful movements in his limbs. So, uh, 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 how they describe the, the improvement to you? On Friday at our family meeting, they said, he is doing better than we ever thought he could. You have a miracle in what he's doing right now. But the fact remains that brain damage was so severe, you, you do need to start looking for a skilled nursing home, long-term care, because we can only do so much. Okay, so they upgraded him from a level one, which is the most severe kind of coma you can have, the most severe brain damage you can have, to a level three. But that's still, a, rather, he's still in a coma, even right. though he has some kind of consciousness, and they were calling that a miracle. Right. Um, but Lori and others weren't satisfied with that miracle, and they continued to pray. And so what happened then uh, this last, uh, last uh, Sunday, a week ago, Sunday? Last Sunday morning, I went up to the hospital early to spend some quiet time with him because it's really quiet there on Sunday. And he was sitting in the chair, and I was sitting and reading to him. And he had this huge mitt on his hand, which protected um, himself from ripping out his trach and his feeding tube. And he was biting on it. And I had said to him on prior occasions, you don't bite that, do you? Because you're always making conversation. And, of course, I didn't get a response. But last Sunday, I said to Eric, you don't bite that, do you? And Eric said, no, take it off. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, That's great. I jumped, Praise God. I jumped out of that chair and I said, Eric, you... I, you heard me. Are you aware of what? Are you aware of what's going on? You, he said, "Yes." Hi, mom. <laughs> and I screamed for the nurses, and the nurses came running in, and he's smiling now from ear to ear, and they're and they're trying to get responses out of him. And he said, "I want to talk. I want to talk." It was very he difficult to talk with the trait. So they called the doctor, and they were able to take some sutures out and put this other little piece of equipment in there so could get some oxygen up and they were going to let me I called the family and they were letting me have quiet time with him so we could talk and Eric was asking what happened where am I 
He asked about his wife, his daughter. He asked about his job. He asked about insurance. He asked all these questions. And his father walked in, and he looked at his dad, and he said, Hi, Dad. Shortly, his sister walked in. Hey, sis. And then his wife and daughter walked in, and he started to cry. And he said, Jennifer, Maddie. And everyone was crying at that point. Yeah. And it just has since continued to get better. Praise He's God. Incredible progress. He's walking. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's a reason why the Bible calls him the great physician. Uh, and then it was, see, Lori did the exact right thing. When God does something in your life, big or small, uh, it's for you, yes, but it's also for the kingdom. And you need to share it. And so that same Sunday morning, Lori came running to church. And in second service, uh, I'm about here preaching, and all of a sudden I hear this commotion in the background, and Chuck Fenra comes out and, and kind of flags me down uh, and tells me about, because uh, Lori came running in here and just saying, Eric is, is awake. So we had Lori, we had, right in the middle of the sermon, Lori come out on stage and, 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 you know, I gave her the microphone and all she could do, uh, hyperventilating with excitement, was say, he, he's awake, Eric is awake. But it was beautiful, praise God. And that's exactly what I didn't do. You've got to tell people about what God's doing. Amen, it's a miracle. Uh, you want to tell them about Jenny or? Well, my daughter, a few months prior to the accident, Eric was beginning to seek the Lord as his Savior. And Jenny wrote me, a card at Christmas time. This was before, of course, that, that, that he came out of the coma. And she said, Eric told me on many occasions that he, he did believe Jesus was his Savior. And she said, I believe it now, too. I've seen so much love and so many prayers through so many people. She said, I believe, too, now. Praise God. Amen. I just want to finish by saying that first week, um, in intensive care, the neurologist said that if, if Eric ever came out of this, he would never be the same. And that pierced my heart. And I remember thinking, it can't be true. It can't be. But it was true. But it doesn't pierce my heart anymore. It brings joy now because Eric will never be the same. He will be better. He's praise seen, God. He's seen the Lord. Amen. Oh, praise God. That's Didn't you do great? <laughs> Praise God. Thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand. Just give the Lord a standing ovation. Give the Lord a standing ovation. He's a real God. Good job, Lord. Good job, Lord. Good job, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 What a beautiful Lord. What a beautiful Lord. What a beautiful Lord. Hallelujah. All the glory goes to you, Lord. All the glory. All the praise. Hallelujah. Ah. Praise God. Ah. God's good. Hey, uh, you got that one down. Here's how we're going to end this service. Uh, Greg, I'd like to ask you to come up here. Uh, and, and what I want to do, it just would be it, it's so uh, out of sync if we were to end a, a service like that and not open up uh, the means for people who right now uh, are wanting to step out on water. 
Um, in fact, could I ask the prayer team to come forward and just line up here uh, uh, on the steps so people can see you? Um, and uh, here's what I want to do. I'm going to end with a prayer, and then you'll be dismissed. Um, but if you have a need that you want to pray for, uh, if, if you're in a situation where uh, you need God to do something that you can't do on your own, that's not a bad position to be in. It's a great position to be in because now you have to trust God. Uh, and if you want to come forward and receive prayer here, these folks would be, you know, line up one to one. We'd be glad to, to pray for you, and I encourage you to do that. Step out and believe. Um, you're, after, after the prayer, Greg will continue just to kind of play some worship songs. If you want to just sit and pray for the people uh, in your seats who are up here, feel free to do that. Uh, if you want to leave, feel free to do that. But I want to encourage you to, to, to not talk as you're leaving. Wait till you get out, out there so that these people can, can uh, concentrate on, on what needs to be done here. But let's pray. Father, uh, we are overwhelmed, Lord, overwhelmed by the reality of who You are, the reality of Your love and Your power, Lord God. Uh, you amaze us, Lord. Uh, God, our heart is, is that, that others out there would see how amazing You are, Lord, and that they would fall in love with You the way we have, Lord. Uh, God, we pray that You would, by the power of Your Spirit, be birthing here in this uh, segment of Your Bride in the Twin Cities. Uh, Lord, a people who have faith to believe You to do what we can't do on our own. A faith to see people healed, Lord God. Hallelujah. A faith to see, uh, Lord, marriages supernaturally sh uh, saved, Lord. And, and just to see You operating in the full reality of Your power in our life in every way that we need You to operate in the full power in our life, Lord. And our commitment to You, Lord God, is that we will brag on You the way Lori did. We'll proclaim it from the housetops. We'll shout it. We'll dance it. We'll sing it, Lord, that the world may know that You are, in fact, for real, Lord. Send Your power here, Lord. I pray, Lord God, that You would put on the hearts of those who uh, have a need, Lord, um, that, uh, to come forward here and, and, and receive prayer uh, as, as, as we're dismissed, Lord God. And show Yourself off here, Lord God. Do it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Help us go forward in the full power of Your Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Please, uh, you are dismissed quietly. The uh, altar is open. Feel free to come forward. If you want to pray for those who are coming forward by sitting there, uh, feel free to do that as well. God bless. He's a good guy.